The first reading for the Feast of All Saints is from the Revelation to St. John, chapter 7. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The Feast of All Saints Day, of course, emerged in the medieval church because, quite frankly, they were running out of calendar days to observe the large number of folk saints that had come about in the ensuing centuries. You didn't really want to double up, at least not more than was really necessary, and so it became the custom to just pick a day. Pick a day where all of the saints, whether you knew their names or not, whether they had a regular ordinary festival day to their name or not, and simply on this day acknowledge all of them. Give all of them 
the due glory for their works, give God thanks for all that he had accomplished through them, and unfortunately, in the course of time, there emerged that abominable practice of turning to the saints as though they themselves were the very dispensers of God's grace. What started as perhaps a laudable attempt to acknowledge those particular heroes of the faith who had done great works in the past soon became yet another in a great uh, collection of idolatrous works that the church unfortunately gave its stamp and seal of approval to. So it became necessary for the Lutheran Church, when it was purified by the gospel, to correct this. We did not want to get rid of the saints. Indeed, the confessions themselves say that the saints should be looked to as examples of faith and holy living. We honor the saints, not as those who dispense God's grace on our behalf, but as those who fought the fight of faith, those who endured in their confession of Jesus Christ as Lord unto death and who now rest from their labors, and to whom we look for inspiration, for courage, for an example of how we now shall live our lives under the cross in anticipation of the day when we should join them in paradise. That is what we hoped to get. Unfortunately, here too, I dare say, we've missed the mark of what our forebears in the faith really intended this holiday to be. Sadly, very often, All Saints Day simply becomes a kind of mass funeral. It becomes an opportunity for us to collect all of the saints into one gathered day and mourn their loss, particularly those saints of our congregation, those saints whom we were privileged to call our family and friends, and simply laud this day as the one when we should all collectively grieve. The day somehow feels as though it's focused not on what we stand to gain, but rather on what we have lost. Even the vision of Revelation chapter 7 that great vision that really serves as the center and heart of what this book is trying to teach us, this vision of all of the elect of God from every tribe and nation, the loyal sons of Israel who are sealed and redeemed, the peoples of every tribe and nation who gather with their palm branches and hands to sing the praises of God who has worked salvation for them, even this glorious vision is somehow taken away from us. It is seen as the vision of those who have already died, those who have already gone on to their reward. But frankly, we tend to forget that this vision, first and foremost, is a vision of us. It is not a vision that only a select few are participating in, but rather, this is a vision of the church at this very moment. Lutheran theologians have tended to divide the church into two categories. The church militant, that is, us here on this earth who are fighting the good fight of faith, enduring the temptations of the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, doing battle with the forces of the devil by the power of God's word and spirit. And then the church triumphant, those whose fight is over, 
those who have conquered by the seal of holy baptism upon their foreheads, those who have gone on to the reward, who no longer labor or toil, but who know only the peace of God. And while these distinctions are true, while these distinctions do describe the reality that we here on earth are facing, the fact of the matter is the scripture knows only one church, and the book of Revelation puts forth for us only one vision of the church. The church triumphant is still militant. They have not given up the fight of the faith. They are not beyond it all now and unconcerned with what happens with the church on earth. Those whom we love who have departed in the faith still pray on our behalf. They still intercede before the throne of God asking, How long, O Lord, sovereign and true, until you will vindicate all of your people? When you struggle in your faith, they struggle alongside you. When you mourn and cry, they shed tears as well. When you rejoice in God, their hearts and their mouths join in your hymns of praise. And when you pray, their hands are firmly clasped about yours, asking God in his grace to dispense what is needed for his people on earth. And so too, the church militant is always triumphant. Though the world cannot see our victory, though indeed the world scorns to think of our weakness, the fact of the matter is you are triumphant in Christ today as you have always been. You are not waiting for a future triumph that shall only be granted to you in your death, but this very day, the vision of Revelation chapter 7, the great multitude of people gathered in holy garments, washed by the blood of the Lamb, and sounding out their praise to God for his mighty acts of deliverance, this is a vision of you. This is a vision which is not simply restricted to the eyes of John or restricted to those who have already passed out of this life and into the life to come. Do you wish to see this vision for yourself? Look around you. In this very place, gathered before the throne of Christ, the angels, the cherubim and seraphim, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and all the army of the saints, the noble army of the martyrs, the glorious company of the apostles, the goodly fellowship of the prophets, the priests and patriarchs who have gone before us, they too are in this place. They too are before the throne of God, worshiping day and night with us. When we sing, their voices join our hymns, when we pray, they offer their supplications alongside us. They toil and struggle alongside us here in this place, for death has not quenched their thirst for the word of God and for his sacraments. But here in this place, invisible to our eyes, they partake of the same things that refresh our souls. They too go before the throne that they may receive the living water which flows from the side of Jesus Christ, and so that they and we might have our tears wiped from our eyes by his merciful hand. But here again, it is still not 
an invisible vision? Do you desire to see the saints gathered in worship? Look around you. Look up and down the pews. Look at the people whom God has gathered to be your family in Christ. God has washed them with the blood of his Son. God has cleansed them from their sins and made them to be a holy people by his word. God has made them to be your servants in Jesus Christ who lift up their prayers on your behalf and who sustain you by their vocations, by their holy living. They are the ones who will uphold you in your hours of need. They are the ones who shall seek to serve you when the time of affliction and temptation comes upon you. When the days of tribulation and despair come upon us, it is this congregation that shall gather together to sustain us by word and prayer. And so too, if you desire to see the vision of Revelation chapter 7 unfolded, look in a mirror. Look at yourself. Yes, sins and warts and all, but look to yourself and know that this vision is a vision of you. Not because of your own inerrant holiness, but because this is where Christ has desired you to be. And to that end, shed his blood that you may be washed clean in it. Here, Christ has bestowed upon you the living water of holy baptism that has cleansed you of all of your sin and granted you a place in this company of the redeemed. Christ has taken away from you the chains of sin and guilt and put in its place the palm branches of victory and salvation. No, the vision of Revelation chapter 7 is not some restricted vision offered only to a select few, and enjoyed by an even selector few. Rather, the vision which we read of today describes us now, us future. It describes the reality that we are all striving to attain, the one for which we are enduring the present sufferings of this time of tribulation, knowing that the glory that is stored up for us surpasses all of these momentary afflictions, and also knowing that the glory of the future is one which we possess today, one that, yes, is assaulted on every angle by sin, by the world, by the devil who seeks to snatch it away from us, but one which we know is secured to us by the blood of Jesus, one which has been sealed on our forehead by the angels of God who seek to protect us from everything that would do us harm, and above all, sealed to us by the very word of God who is not willing that any who believe in him should fall, but who desires that all should come to his feast, that all should celebrate with him, that all of every day, every nation, every time, past, present, and future, whom he has called to be his own, all shall know his forgiveness, and all shall know his grace, his mercy, and his peace. Today is not about what we have lost. Today is about what we have gained and, what which, and that which we still stand to gain. 
Insofar as we are concerned with those who are past, we give thanks to God knowing that their labors have been rewarded and that today they stand in that more glorious place, free from the assaults which we must bear, but giving thanks that there they still labor on our behalf and that there God continues to dispense his blessings to them as indeed he dispenses them for us. Today, it's not about what we have lost, but what we have. And what we have from God is a promise that as we have been washed in the blood of the Holy Lamb of God, so too we are called holy. We are called saints, those who have been made spotless by Jesus and those who are destined to partake of his holy kingdom. And Jesus will continue this. He will continue to wash you, continue to cleanse you, continue to sustain you by his grace and his Holy Spirit until at last the day when you shall join the church triumphant in the skies and indeed until the day when their church militant shall be no more, when Jesus shall return to put every foe under his feet, when he shall put to rest all of the assaults of sin in this world, when he shall put to flight the devil and all of his powers, when the devil and all of his hordes shall be bound forever in everlasting darkness, and the unrighteous in the world shall be forever barred from the holy kingdom of God. The day when all that remains is a church at rest, a church forever triumphant, a church forever secure and forever praising and giving thanks to him who has worked such marvelous things for us. And that promise is no less yours today than it shall be in the future. So for this All Saints Day, I say to all of you saints, here in the pews and in heaven above, Give thanks to God. Worship and serve him. Rejoice and be glad in what he has done for us. And let us all together join in the hymn, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.